this was part of the problem. It's like, as we move to streaming, how can fans A, find the games and B, afford the games? Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm John Kelly, and for Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, February 7th, and I'm talking with John Arand, Puck's newest star and the author of The Varsity, which debuts tomorrow. John and I talk all about the new ESPN and Warner Brothers Discovery Consortium of Live Sports Rights that just came across the transom. And we'll also talk about all the deal heat surrounding the Super Bowl. Yes, yes, the game itself, but also the agents, the media rights deals, and the strength of the National Football League. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Powers That Be. I'm sitting in for Peter Hamby, who's taking yet another personal day. Peter, call me. I miss you. I'm here with John Arand, who's on his way to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. We'll be sure to itemize those expenses, John, when you send them on the other side. Um, <laughs> I, I want to talk all about some of the, the large media issues that pertain to this game, and, and uh, they are innumerable. But as we got on to tape, a big deal was announced. ESPN, Fox, and WBD, which as everyone on this podcast knows is, is the house of Zazz, are coming together for a joint venture to launch a sports streaming service in the U.S. I'm just kind of repeating the bullets here. It's going to bring together the linear networks, the DTC, ESPN+. Plus. There are rights for everything from the NFL to the NBA to the WNBA, baseball, hockey, NASCAR, college sports, which are obviously increasingly professionalized. UFC, uh, shout out to our boys uh, over there, and uh, PGA. John, this sounds a lot to me like a sports version of Hulu. So I have a couple of questions I I want you to unpack for me here. First of all, does this signal that these companies, all of which had their own DTC plans in sports, are abandoning them? Uh, Second, are we going to begin to see a sort of consortium here? And third... Does this union of competitors, I mean, I'm thinking of ESPN and, and the House of Zazz in particular are competitors for you know future uh, NBA rights broadcast deals, are they going to try and reset the market here so that these uh, rights don't become exorbitant? What do you think, man? You know, uh, this just came across our desk, so we're, we're, we're trying to process a lot of this. My first reaction to it, John, is that Everybody has been talking about the great rebundling. The pay TV companies went through an unbundling where people wanted to you know, subscribe, pay for, for only what they wanted to watch. And so uh, as a result, people are now paying for pay TV. They're paying for Netflix. They're paying for Amazon Prime. And if you want sports, you're paying for Max. You're paying for ESPN+. Plus. And this is a way to sort of get that back. Because what the great unbundling has done, it's made it very difficult for consumers 
to just find games. In fact, I, just last week when I was, uh, I, I gave testimony in front of the, uh, the House Commerce Committee, and uh, this was part of the problem. It's like, as we move to streaming, how can fans, A, find the games, and B, mm-hmm. afford the games? Because if, if you're a soccer fan, you have to subscribe to Paramount Plus, which is not part of this consortium. Uh, you have to subscribe to ESPN Plus. You have to subscribe to Peacock, which is not part of this consortium. Max, mm-hmm. you know, you name it. It goes on and on and on. Yes. Uh, in fact, we're going to institute a new rule here. Every time, John, you mentioned testifying before Congress, it, it, listeners are going to have to drink the way the way they do every time <laughs> Peter mentions that he he uh, he taught at Harvard in 2013 at the Shorenstein Center. Oh, John, did yeah. I let that slip out? A- I'm so sorry about that. Everyone's got their nits here. Um, but yeah, no, there's no question that, that um, this is becoming a, a pain in the neck for consumers. But these are the fiercest of competitors here, and the pot of money is not. Finite, and you would think that uh, if you're in Bob Iger's shoes or, or Jimmy Pataro's shoes, the CEO of ESPN, and you're working on a plan that's being profoundly scrutinized by Wall Street analysts to basically float ESPN. You know, I mean, I mean, J- Jimmy's responsibility is to find a way to break out the ESPN financials, let Wall Street react however they want, and we think the reaction is going to be you know, separate this thing and float it out and then create a streaming service built around this. Does this consortium help you in some perverse way, John? I know we're responding to this in, in, in real time here. As I take it in, it seems to me that it's a, a suggest a, a possible pivot that some of these companies aren't going to go as whole hog as we would have thought. And they're, and they're trying to create something a little safer, closer to the, the old pay TV bundle. Well, I think you and Matt Bellany have been covering this really well from the entertainment side of things. And it, it is hard to make money from uh, strictly streaming. It's even harder from a sports standpoint because the, the beauty of what ESPN provided is that they got $10 per subscriber per month, regardless of whether uh, subscribers watch right. ESPN or not. Uh, on the streaming service, you know, they, they can't make that kind of money. It's a, it's a different business case uh, g- going to streaming. This looks to me like a way before ESPN goes full uh, direct to consumer and, and before um, you know, everybody sees where the trend lines are going uh, toward consumer. This could be a way just to indoctrinate some consumers to say like, hey, you can start to stream. You can uh, start to get that out there. Look, John, I come from the cable business. Like I grew up covering the cable business. This is something that on its face looks like it's going to take people away from the bundle and away from the pay TV bundle. And I, I, I can't imagine that Comcast and Charter and DirecTV like yeah. this at all. It's funny. The um, puck slack is going nuts over this now. It, it, the news is is filtering to everyone's inbox. And Julia Alexander actually published a fantastic piece on Tuesday about Paramount Plus's existential problems. She makes a great point about the seasonality of sports fans, John, which I think is a point that you're getting to um, uh, obliquely when it comes to, to churn. If you are a casual NFL fan, maybe you'll sign up for Peacock to watch the game where Andy Reid's mustache is frozen and then you'll churn the next day. You know, if you're a college basketball fan, maybe you sign up for Paramount Plus for a month to watch March Madness over the conference tournaments and then March Madness, but you're out of there. This deal seems like it is potentially a way to unify all these interests, but I agree with you that it it certainly seems like it's going to alienate a lot of competitors. It's going to unite 
companies that don't have a lot in common or have, have um, a, a lack of uh, fundamental trust in cases. And I wonder if it all comes down to which company uh, ends up building the tech, because I have to imagine that's going to be one of the underappreciated elements in all of this. But we'll get back to that soon. This is playing out before very eyes. Um, we're going to pause for a quick break. And then, John, I want to hear about the biggest storylines emanating out of Vegas. Welcome back. Now, I know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And, John, I know, I know you're not even there yet right now. And in addition to seeing you two at the Sphere on, on Puck's expense, you're going to be getting some reporting in, maybe going to a live taping of the town. I'm curious what your sense of the, the big sort of overarching anxieties of the industry as they're playing out there, in addition to, obviously, the, the new news about this consortium. You know, it's totally fascinating right now that there there are no anxieties if you're the NFL. I, I've been covering this league for a couple of decades. This has to be the best position the NFL has been in going into a Super Bowl. They're in the first year of a uh, TV deal uh, that goes into the 2030s, and they're setting viewership records. Their um, playoff viewership is at its biggest point since the 1980s, uh, if, if you can believe that. It helped a lot that there was the, the writer's strike in Hollywood, so there was a little competition to, to go against through the season, and that sort of carried over into the uh, into the playoffs in addition to Taylor Swift and uh, probably 20 other, uh, 20 other reasons out there. But the um, sponsors are taken care of. Uh, they're, they're signed in long-term. In Las Vegas, Allegiant Stadium, one of the smallest stadiums in the NFL, but the NFL is expecting to, to set a record in terms of revenue coming out of this game for a Super Bowl. But there are still some, some stories out there. And one of the big stories is what is going on with NFL media? That The NFL put NFL media on the block, essentially, a couple of years ago. Didn't find any serious buyers. It has been talking with ESPN about possibly merging and, and uh, taking an equity stake in, in ESPN, which is uh, something you know Bob Iger had talked about uh, in the past. And one of the things that I'm going to be really looking forward to is to see what is happening with NFL media and, and ESPN and whether those two can get together. The NFL network was formed, God, I mean, it's got to be close to you know 15 or, or 20 years ago at this point. And they were in pole position if they wanted to to sort of be the distribution service, right, to, to sort of vertically integrate the NFL media if they ever wanted to broadcast their own games and handle the rights. Now, they clearly over the years took the direct cash from the networks and, and from, you know, and from DirecTV to, to do that. But as I recall, they experimented a, a year or so ago with a um, with like a, a streaming package that had a, a sort of monthly fee. But was that just dead in the water, John? Was it was this sort of um, uh, extra content for for people that were already oversaturated with NFL content? I think NFL Plus was a way for them to to uh, modernize NFL media. I mean, one of the problems with trying to sell NFL media, which it, which is NFL Network, it's uh, NFL right. Red Zone as well. It's also NFL.com. I don't know too many big companies 
that want to invest in cable channels anymore. I, that, 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 it's seen as a declining business. I mean, we had, everything that we talked about at the top of this pod, you know, the move to streaming is, is real and it's happening. And there's a real sense that not just the NFL Network, but you can also look at NBA TV and, you know, NHL TV, MLB Network. They're all sort of facing the same prospects, which is a declining subscriber base and very, very niche programming that makes it easier for cable operators and direct TV just to say, we don't want to carry you anymore. When you look out at the suitors and purveyors of NFL content like Prime Video, which are appear to be deepening their relationship with the league, is there any strategic advantage for anyone to sort of Im- imbibe this because it could give them a leg up or a or a bargaining chip. We, for context, we we know that the NFL makes um, subtle demands of its of its partners. You know, one of the reasons that Tony Romo is paid so well isn't just that the guy's a natural on TV, but CBS had to had to fork over the dough to ensure the league that it could take you know a new tranche of broadcast rights. I'm just wondering if this becomes a sort of um, you know a part of the dowry from, from one of the bigger players who will want to get involved with the league. That's one of the fascinating uh, things that I, uh, that I'm looking at in this is that it's the TV networks that that would pay that dowry. It was CBS, it was ESPN because the NFL held sway over them. It doesn't appear that the NFL has that same sway over Amazon Prime, over Google, YouTube, over Apple. I mean, these are trillion dollar companies. Whether or not the NFL is going to be able to get them to kowtow to them is something that I'll be looking, and I, I, I'm skeptical that they will. One of the subplots that I've been following throughout the NFL season is the fate of Greg Olson, who's a, a fantastic broadcaster and uh, had a, a stellar playoff run of, of really sort of thoughtful, sophisticated commentary of the games. Now, obviously, um, you know, Greg Olson, it, it appears like he's going to have to make room in the booth for Tom Brady, who's going to come in next year for the first year of his, you know, 10-year bazillion-dollar Fox deal. I'm curious, do you think that we're seeing that Brady is the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning for these kinds of talent deals. I think a a couple years ago we heard that Sean McVay was deliberating leaving the sidelines as the Rams coach because the guy could make so much money on television. You're going to be in the heart of it all uh, where all these deals start. I'm curious if you think that this is a false economy or to your point about the NFL never being stronger, are we beginning to see a whole new kind of star? The Romo, the Brady, the Manning cast, Manning of these post-playing days talents who are, who are earning playing days contracts. Yeah, I think it's a false economy, John. I, I, th- I think if you take a look at what precipitated this, it was when you know, the CBS wanted to renew the NFL and its rights deal and they wanted at the time to keep Tony Romo on board. And so they gave Tony Romo an $18 million a year contract. While at the same time, ESPN was saddled with a Monday night football production that just was yeah. never, very, it frankly, wasn't very good. And so they kept trying to make it better. So how could they make it better? They poached Fox and they ended up getting their own $18 million man and Troy Aikman. Well, these TV deals, they go through 2030 these are for-profit companies and they're losing subscribers. The NFL is still king. I just suspect I can see a day when, when those salaries will start to get rolled back though. 
Mm-hmm. All right, a final, final, final question, John. This came up at the end of our all hands today. I know you're not a betting man, uh, but if you had to bet, what what's the likelihood that Taylor Swift makes the game? Oh, I think it's uh, I would put it at ninety five percent. She wow. might have plane trouble, which would uh, which would hurt things. But I, I think it's a big big event. It's going to be more than one hundred fifteen million viewers are watching, and I'm sure it's going to set a, a viewership record on TV. I, I, I find it hard to believe that she would pass that up. All right, um, your lips to God's ears. Let's see. I think that the betting lines are moving right now. Uh, John, <laughs> thanks so much. Safe flight. Have a great time. And the Varsity makes its official debut on Thursday the eighth. Can you give us just a quick tease of some of the uh, some of the items you have prepared for your readers? Varsity, we're going to talk a lot about the uh, streaming deal that we talked about here, and uh, and try to get a a better sense of uh, of what it all means. I have a story on uh, Diamond. Amazon and the R and the RSNs, the regional sports networks, which is, uh, you know, what happens to those regional sports networks really has a major impact on the future of the NBA, MLB, and NHL teams. Great, can't wait, John. Safe trip, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, John. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy. Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.